as, as we gathered on this Sunday morning, we want to take communion and remember what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And so if you didn't grab one of these and you want to participate in taking communion, go ahead and raise your hand. and We'll have one of our ushers come around and give you one. In, in a way of preparation for this, I want to look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I will tell you that this is one of my favorite parts of being able to stand here and share God's word with you because we want to specifically focus on what taking communion means, what it represents, and, and basically share with you the message of the cross. That for many is foolishness, but for those who are being saved, for those of us that are in Christ, it is the power of God. And Colossians chapter 2 I want to read verses 13 and 14, and there's a lot in here, and I don't want to spend too much time, but listen to this. The Apostle Paul writing, and he says, and you, speaking to Christians, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, speaking to Gentiles that were not at, at one point were not saved, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And in case we're like, what does he mean by all trespasses? Verse 14 says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that would be the law, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. One of my favorite verses. The Apostle Paul is teaching here is reminding Christians that at one time they were dead in their sins and trespasses without hope in this world. But he says, but Jesus made us alive together with him. That's why the Lord's resurrection is so important. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, didn't just die for us, but he resurrected, and we are alive in him. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And let me say this. I'm going to, I would dare say that most people do not understand this. And I'm not talking about people that don't call themselves Christians. I'm, call, I'm talking about people that call themselves Christians. Find it very difficult to accept this, but this is the gospel. And in reality, it can't be any other way. What am I referring to? That here Paul is specifically saying that for those of us who are in Christ, all of our sins have been forgiven. And you might say, Mike, what do you mean by all? Well, the word all in the Greek and Hebrew means all, with no exception. With no exception. And so my question to you is, do you trust and believe that Jesus' atoning death on the cross is sufficient for every one of your sins, past, present, and future, beloved? Because too many people, I get to meet people, we talk, we get into a little theology, doctrine, and, I, and you quickly understand that they're still living with this fear of judgment. Now, if you go misbehaving, expect God as your father to discipline you. But that's different. If you're a child of God, he will not forsake you or abandon you 
because Christ took your place at the cross. And Jesus' sacrifice has to be sufficient for all of your sins. The opposite of that is you thinking that you have to do still something to earn your salvation, and that would forfeit you from the gift of salvation. Or to think that you have to confess every one of your sins. Should you confess your sins? Yes, and we trust that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Of course, you want to confess your sins. But you don't depend on yourself confessing every one of your sins because I'll tell you what, you don't even know how bad of a sinner you are. By God's grace, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin, you realize you're a sinner, but you will never understand how bad of a sinner you are in the sight of a holy and perfect God. It is only through our surrender, our repentance, and our acknowledgement that what Jesus did for us at the cross is sufficient to forgive us of all of our sins, and we accept that by faith. In case you're saying, Mike, just like that, I would have to say, just like that. There is no other way. If you want to work hard for your salvation, you will never attain it. If you want to be good enough so that God will be pleased with you and allow you into heaven, you will never attain it. It is only through Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross. And when he said it is finished, that meant the redemptive work of Christ was done. So what happens with us? We are saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any one of us should boast. Isn't that amazing? No wonder we come here and we sing about Jesus. No wonder we get up on a Sunday morning and we come here to worship and recognize his worthiness. And what we do here with communion is we are reminded of that beautiful, unchanging fact that as you peel back the first layer here, you take the bread, which represents and reminds us of the perfect body of our Lord Jesus Christ without sin that was given up on our behalf. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you see the juice that reminds us and represents symbolizes the precious, so valuable blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away your sin and mine. Let's take that together. Those words are not my words. That is the gospel. So now we're going to sing a hymn that has been sung for over 100 years by other Christians that came before us. It's called Wonderful Words of Life. So let's stand and let's sing wonderful words of life. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and duty. 
Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinnerless to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Also freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctifies forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we, as your children, get to spend this time with you, with one another, and your word. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We trust in your power and your grace to continue to save and sanctify and transform each and every one of us. We're grateful for the opportunity. We pray for your blessing. Teach us, mold us, make us ever more like your son, our Lord Jesus, for your glory. We pray for your blessing on this time. We ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may have a seed, beloved. So this morning, I get to continue sharing with you God's word from the gospel according to Luke. And this will be the third message from chapter 12. Uh, We're going to read from verses 22 through 34. The title of this morning's message is Don't Worry. Don't Worry. I don't know if you're a, a war, any warrior, any worriers in the house. You know, it seems like in our society, worrying has become a part of life. And maybe it's always been, of course, right? To worry, uh, to, to be afraid of the unknown, the future. Uh, there are so many things in your life and mind that are not under our complete control. And so the normal tendency is to begin to worry. Will I have enough this? Will I have enough of that? Will I run out of this or that? What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? And if you're not careful, you'll become sick from worrying so much about so many things. And 2,000 years ago, the Lord taught on that. And he very simply says, don't worry. I'm going to read that portion. But I want to share with you the main point of this morning's message. I believe it all comes down to God's glory. And so the main point this morning is that we glorify God when we trust in him instead of worrying about things. 
The opposite of that would be that when we're so caught up in being anxious and worried about things, we don't glorify God. God is our Father. I have three, three children. They're all kind of grown by now. But it's, they're my responsibility as a dad. And I realize I have so many shortcomings. I don't have unlimited resources. But you better believe it that if there's something that my children need and I know about it, I'm going to do my best to do something about it. And, and we've talked about this before when the Lord said, hey, you human dads, being sinful, know how to be good to your kids. How much more my father in heaven? And so anytime we, we, we fail to trust in God's provision for our lives, we tend to worry. And so worry is really an indication of our lack of faith. And when we lack faith, we're not able to glorify God. Without faith, Hebrew says, it is impossible to please him. But realistically, for us as Christians, it'd be great if we came to know the Lord and all of a sudden we have perfect faith and we never worry about anything else, but that's not a reality and that's why Jesus, our Lord, finds himself having to teach this 2,000 years ago and then 2,000 years later here in 2023, it is as applicable as it ever has been. And so my, my prayer is that this morning, as you listen to God's message, never mind me, but God's message on, on not worrying, that you will be blessed, but that also you would, uh, you know, it's never my intention just to come here and say like, hey, a little pep talk, you know, just don't worry, it's going to be all right. But to actually give you God's word and say, this is why you shouldn't worry. And that's, that's why it's, it's such an honor for me to be able to share God's word with you. So let me read to you Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And we're going to talk about how as God's children, we need not worry because. All right, Luke 12, 22 through 34. It says, then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you, then, are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Amazing. Um, the context of this is the Lord speaking to a large crowd. He has already warned people. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's warning towards these people about um, hypocrisy, being, being uh, careful with not falling into the sin of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, the sin of hypocrisy, trying to pretend that you're something you're not. Last week, we talked about covetousness, how the Lord also warns them and says, be careful of covetousness. You know, this idea of loving money and what money brings to you. And so within that conversation, the Lord is still speaking to the same crowd. And now he turns to them and says, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, and, and, and a lot of this conversation has to do with material goods. With material goods. The religious leaders were known for their love of money. And, and the hypocrisy kind of came into that. Covetousness is something that we all deal with. And, and it's almost like you sense that the Lord is under, obviously understands people's hearts. And so he's teaching on hypocrisy, on covetousness. And no doubt the Lord knows that every human normal heart is going to be thinking like, yeah, but, but I still got to go to work, don't I? I still got to provide for my family, don't I? And, and I still got to make sure that there's a roof over our heads. And maybe some of us will think the same thing. Whenever we talk about covetousness and not loving money, there's always this maybe question about, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I focusing too much on money? Uh, do I not focus on money at all? There's all these questions. I think the Lord addresses all of that within the same conversation or same speech, same teaching. And here he says, don't worry. Not because... Things are not important, not because you shouldn't work or you shouldn't eat, but the point here is not to worry, not to be anxious about things. And, and only you know if you worry about certain things. You know, you could have the same job as the person next to you, but you worry about, you know, your hours and your salary, and the next person next to you might have the same job making the same thing, and they don't worry. And maybe you have the same amount of good, so it's, it's more our attitude towards things more so than the actual things that we have or don't have. And so he's addressing our heart once again, and he's saying, it's as if the Lord is saying, I know these things are important. He says that. These things are important. Everybody needs clothing. Everybody needs food. Everybody needs a roof over their heads. But the point is, don't be anxious about those things. And you probably know this. If you're not careful about anxiety and worrying, you'll end up worrying about anything and everything. Maybe you start with the big things. I only worry about the big things. And then before you know it, you're going to be worrying about everything. And anytime we worry, we're not glorifying God because it's a lack of faith. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I hope that everybody got a, a handout, if not for now, for later, but so you can follow along. But what we're going to basically do in this morning's message is, is uh, provide three phrases to complete this one phrase, which is, as God's children, we need not worry because. And point number one is that as God's children, we don't need to worry because, point number one, God knows what we need. God knows what we need. And that should be very comforting to us. Um, I remember as a child, I think I was pretty dysfunctional. Still am, of course. 
But as a kid, I was very quiet to the point where I, I remember not feeling comfortable asking my parents for stuff, especially my dad. There was always this reverence and kind of fear for my dad. And, and I remember specifically, I lived in, in Mexico, in Guadalajara, and I remember my shoes were kind of old school, was getting, you know, it, it was almost time to go back to school. And I remember my shoes had a hole, and I'm thinking, like, I can't go to school like that. But for some reason, here's my weirdness, I wouldn't ask my dad for a pair of shoes. And it wasn't because we didn't have money. It was just, I said it, it's weird. I just wouldn't ask my dad for a pair of shoes. But, I, but, there was, but there was this sense of comfort knowing that when my dad saw me, he saw my shoes and he saw the hole in my shoes. I think I stuck my toe out just to make sure he's, did you see that? And, and, and I didn't need to ask for a pair of shoes because I trusted that my dad, once he knew my need, he would provide for, for me in this way. I, I clearly remember that. Um, as a child of God, knowing that God knows what I need is very comforting. Because the reality is, sometimes I don't know what I need. And I would dare say that's probably the case with you. You know, if, we, if somebody was to come and say, hey, make a list of all your needs, we can probably come up with 100 things or 20 things or five things. And then somebody would say, oh, what about this? Don't you need that? Oh, yeah, that's right. I do need that. But that's just in the physical sense. Can you imagine in the spiritual sense how we need God for his protection, his provision, and how much God is involved in our lives in ways that we don't even realize. Every once in a while, something happens like, oh, man, God did that. Yeah, he did, but he also did everything else that involves you. When the, when the Bible says um, in Romans 8.28 that God works all things for good, for those who love him and are called to his purpose, it implies that God is involved in every aspect of your life. What you would consider good, what you would consider bad, what you would consider ugly, God is involved in every aspect of your life, and he is able to make all things work together for good. That means God knows everything about every one of us, and even the needs that I have that I'm not even aware of, God is aware of those. I find that to be extremely comforting. Luke 12, 30 says, for all these things, Jesus says, the nations of the world seek after. Meaning, people that don't know God are, are stressed about clothing and food and, and everything else. He says, and your father knows that you need these things. He's reminding them, keep in mind that your father knows that you need these things. He knows. And he knows everything. That's one of the things that make God, God. He knows everything. He is omniscient. There isn't anything that he doesn't know. And so within that omniscience, he knows every single one of your needs. And we should find a lot of comfort in that. Matthew 6, verse 8, the Lord speaking again says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Before you even ask whatever it is that you need, he already knows. He wants to hear from you, but he already knows. You never have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, you probably don't know this, but like, don't, don't say that. You should come to him and say, Lord, I know you know my needs. And I come here humbly 
to thank you in advance and to just ask for your will to be done in my life. But you know that my heart, I feel like I need this and I want to come to you expecting as a good father to provide for that. Very different. He knows your needs before you even ask. Psalms 23, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I should have no need. I mean, think about that. We are God's sheep. He is our shepherd. And by definition, a shepherd is responsible for the sheep. And we can talk about how, how sheep are, are some of the dumbest animals. How sheep are uh, some of the animals with like no defense mechanisms. And that is the imagery, not just in that verse, but that we are given as God's children. We are his sheep. But with that, he is our shepherd. And our shepherd knows. I mean, and he's a good shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. You know, he's not going to be on his phone, the shepherd, and then like, oh, my goodness, I forgot to take these sheep to get some grass so they can eat. That's not God. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't forget. You know, nobody's going to come to God and say, hey, your sheep haven't drank any water in three days. You might want to, oh, yeah, that's right. None of that. See how it's insulting to God to worry about things that, that we need because we already know he, he understands our needs. He knows our needs. Of course, when it comes to need, some of us think that we need this and we need that, and you kind of don't really need that. There was a, a quote that says, um, sometimes we don't realize that Christ is all we need until Christ is all we have. And sometimes God puts us in positions where it's like, you ran out of human resources, your intellect only got you this far, your experience and your this and that only gets you so far, and you finally find yourself saying, like, Lord, I can't do anything, but thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. And then in that moment, you realize that Christ is all you have, and indeed, Christ is really all you need. So as God's children, we don't need to worry because God knows what we need. Now, that's very comforting, but the fact that he knows what I need is great, but the question becomes, can he do something about it? And that's almost a little insulting, right? Okay, so God knows my need, but can he supply my every need? And the answer would be in the affirmative. Luke 12, 24 says, the Lord says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap. They don't work. They, they, don't, they don't have storehouses nor barns. And it says, and God feeds them. My pastor used to say, you ever seen a starving bird? And then he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? As God's children, we don't need to worry because point number two, God has the power to supply our needs. He feeds the birds. He clothes the grass in the field. He supplies everything. The universe functions the way it does only because of him, this awesome, unique planet, this privileged, privileged planet functions the way it does only because of him and through him. And he says, if the birds eat without doing any work, my father's the one that feeds them. Understand, you are of much more value than the birds. And just try to imagine the people that are there listening to the Lord 
worried, concerned. If I follow the Lord, will he take care of me? If I follow the Lord, will the religious leaders kick me out of the synagogue? And all kinds of things that they were having to deal with. And the Lord is comforting them and saying, look, my father knows your every need. And my father has the power to supply every one of your needs. Easier said than done, though, right? Easier said than done. Trusting God. But it all comes down to trusting. You're either going to choose to trust God and submit to him, or you're going to fight him and say, yeah, 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 I know, you, I know you know everything, and I know you can do it, but just in case, let me help you a little bit here. And then we get in trouble. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How rich is God in mercy and grace and knowledge and wealth and anything else? Unlimited. Unlimited. God has the power to supply all of our needs. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power that works in us. Over and over, these verses are all over the scripture that say God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There isn't anything that he can't do, and therefore he knows your needs, and he's able to supply every one of your needs, and that needs to be super comforting to us. He knows my needs, and he can do something about it. But you might be thinking, okay, well, he knows my needs. He has the power to supply. But does he want to? Right? Maybe as a parent, you go through this. Say one of my children or yours. Let's talk about your kids better. Say one of your kids comes around and says, like, Dad, you know, I need a new pair of shoes. And he's like, yeah, they are kind of worn now. You've had them for three weeks. And then he's like, yeah, you know, everybody has uh, some nice shoes at school, and, but they cost whatever, $200. And then after your initial heart attack, you're thinking like 200 bucks. But then you realize maybe you are able to buy those shoes for him. And your son or, or daughter knows that you can buy those shoes for them because you have enough money to cover that. So then your child knows that you have a need. Your child knows that you're able to buy those shoes if you want you have the resources, but the question in their mind is going to be, he knows I need shoes. He knows the ones that I want. I know he has a, at least a credit card to put it on. But will he, will he want to buy me those shoes? And I think the same goes for us. We know that God is all-knowing, and so he knows our needs. We know he's all-powerful, so he's able to do anything and everything. But then the question becomes, does he want to? And that could cause some anxiety. So as God's children, we need not to worry because, point number three, God is pleased in blessing us. God is pleased in blessing us. And you know, if you come here, we, don't, you know, we stay away from the prosperity gospel and ask you to give money so that God can give you tenfold. And, you know, if you buy the pastor a jet, that'll, you know, he'll, whatever. But you have to understand that we are God's children. And he is pleased in blessing us. He is pleased in supplying our needs. It would make him look bad if he didn't. You know, if, if us as Christians, we're obedient and we're walking with the Lord and, 
and, and all of us have all these needs that we can't function without, and we're all starving, and we don't have enough money for this and that, and we can't catch a break. People are going to look at us and say, like, what kind of a God do you have? He's your father, and, and he has you like this? So I'm saying that at least part of his motivation is his glory. And, and I don't know for you, and I'm sure this is somewhat, you know, prideful on my end, but, you know, if I, if I go to a party with my family, I don't want to walk into the party and I'm all dressed up, and then my kids come in and it's like, oh, it looks like some homeless kids just came in. Hey, who are those? Oh, those are Mike's kids. Yee. You know, how would that make me look? And, and it's similar in a way where God, God is pleased in blessing us, beloved. And that doesn't mean we're going to be fancy this and fancy that and, and be sporting our bling, bling here and bling, bling that. But God is, knows our needs. He's able to provide for our needs. And he's not just willing, but he's pleased in blessing us. In Luke 12, 32, it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in the context here, it's talking about everything that comes in the kingdom as a, as a member of God's kingdom. He wants to give us the kingdom. And again, just using because there's this father-child analogy, you know, you know, my kids are still fairly young. You know, they're between 17 and 23. And, you know, we don't all have it all figured out. But I think they have a sense. Don't tell them this. They must have a sense that everything that I own, whether it's much or little, it's really all theirs. I know I'm not taking anything to the, with the grave, in the grave. I'm not going to be asked to be buried with my whatever. I may hold dear to myself, of value. And so there's a sense in that everything that I have is really theirs. Now, I don't give them everything, but they understand if... You know, for my children, if your parents have money, you have money. And if you have a need, I'm going to do my best to supply those needs. Obviously, the tension is always, you know, things that they think they need. I don't think they need. And, and maybe they're not always happy with what I give them. But then that's how we are with God. Right? Yeah. Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We get a little messed up in our thinking because we are so focused, unfortunately, on the temporary, on the physical, on what we can touch and hold and spend and enjoy physically speaking and again what we need is Christ that's it yet he's pleased in giving us so much more than that but at the end of the day all we need is Christ and here he says that that God the father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Romans 8.32, listen to this. Romans 8.32, it says that he, referring to God the Father, he who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, 
not with him also freely give us all things. Paul is telling these believers in Rome, he says, understand that God didn't hold on to his son, but he gave him up for you. And he, he gave up his only begotten son. Why wouldn't he give you anything and everything else? He's already given you the most important and most valuable thing to himself. He's given himself to you. Why would he hold back anything that he could bless you with? And so for us to, you know how insulting, again, if you ever have given your children something. Let's just make it super simple. Hey, we're going to have dinner tonight. Didn't have a chance to cook. And so we're going to buy something. And we're going to go down the street and get Tam's burgers. And then they say, Tam's burgers? And then the evil inside of you is like, well, if you don't eat, don't eat anything. But you don't say that. But you don't say that. And they might say, like, we wanted Olive Garden. And, and how insulting is it to you that your kids, instead of appreciating what you do give them, because what they need is food. They don't need Olive Garden all the time. Uh, but you know what I mean. If you buy them a pair of shoes and it's like, Oh, here you go. Like, oh, I didn't want these. I wanted the new retro Jordan. You got to get them from Dubai. Whatever. We do the same thing with God. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm just confessing here. But I know God has. I look, I look back at my life and, and blessed. Now, has he given me everything that I've wanted? No. And thank God for that. Probably wouldn't be here if he gave me everything I wanted. But I know he's been my shepherd since such a young age, and he supplied all of my needs. Many of them I don't even realize that he supplied. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about teachers, people that have influenced me. Health. Haven't always been 100% healthy, but, but what I do have, I know it's from God, only from God, and I'm grateful for what he's done, and I trust that him as my shepherd has given me everything that I've needed up to this point, and he will continue to do that until he calls me home. And it may not be him supplying the needs according to my will, but that's where I have the opportunity and obligation to submit myself to his will and his plan for my life. Else, I will find myself fighting with God and anxious about everything. Does he know that I need this? Yes, he knows that you need that. Yeah, but can he do it? Yes, he can do it. Yeah, but does he want to? Yes, he wants to. And as we submit ourselves to him and seek his kingdom and his righteousness, then he says, all these other things will be added onto you. Isn't that awesome? Amazing. So in conclusion, he knows your needs. He can do and supply all your needs. And he will supply all your needs for his glory. I'll leave you with one verse. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I think that's not in your notes. Philippians 4, Verse 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. And beloved, this is God speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Boy, do you want to be living life worried and anxious all the time? Or do you want to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? One of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to get to know a lot of people, to know their circumstances, and to see God working in their lives. I had a lady a couple of days ago come up to me and says, Mike, I want to get baptized. I said, well, tell me a little bit about your story. I don't know you very well. And she says, I've only been a Christian for a couple years. And she ended up in a very good church before she came here. And, and then she tells me, and you know, God's timing is amazing. I came to know the Lord, started growing in the faith, and then came down with cancer. And that's just one of her difficult circumstances in her life. She tells me a couple of other difficult circumstances. But as she's doing that, I can see and she's expressing this peace about her. Only God can do that, beloved. Only God can do that. She could be in such a different place. In Ephesians 2, without the knowledge of God, without hope in this world. But in Christ, she understands she has everything she needs. And no matter what may come, she can be at peace with God's peace instead of being anxious and worried about everything. Glory be to God. That's what we want for everybody. That's what God offers everyone. Joy, peace, love, fruit of the Spirit that will be a testimony to everybody around you for His glory. Father in heaven, we're grateful for you allowing us this time in your word, most importantly. We're grateful for all your blessings. We thank you. For your love towards us, we know that you know all of our needs. We know that you are powerful and able to supply all of our needs. And we are comforted and rejoice in the fact that you are pleased in supplying all of our needs. Help us to, as we receive blessings, to turn them into praises unto you, Father. Thank you for everybody who's here. We ask your blessing as we dismiss. We pray in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Give all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say.
Thank you for joining us this morning. You are dismissed.